Hey, Ariel, how's it going? It's great. How are you, Leo? Good. It's really great to see you again in Denver. We had a really great conversation afterwards about some of the, I don't want to say challenges, but you mentioned about like how developers hate marketing, right? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, I remember that really distinctly, which is really ironic because I would say I love marketing. There's definitely like a mathematical data science side to it that can really lean towards what programmers are interested in. But I found that really interesting because like you can make something in a bubble and nobody is going to use it. Like marketing is at least 50% of the work that you do when you're building stuff on your own. Absolutely. And you know, marketing really extends beyond just the advertising part of it, which is what everyone thinks of when they think about marketing. Right. Yeah, but I think there's a lot more to it Absolutely. Like, what we'll get into today. So before we get started, go ahead and uh, give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. Oh, sure. So my name is Ariel, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of AppFigures. We are an App Store analytics, intelligence, and optimization platform. And we've been around for about 10 years at this point. So we've seen the market really grow and change over the years. And we've been working with many, many, many thousands of developers to help them see what they need to see to improve, whether it's the performance of their marketing or the performance of their apps or the way their competitors are trying to take over their market. So let's start from the beginning, like do the 101. What is exactly App Store optimization? Million dollar question. <laughs> understand. Literally. Yeah, <laughs> true enough. We have to really just zoom out a little bit and think about how big the App Store is. And people say, oh, there are billions of people who have iPhones or Androids. And so all the apps are going to get their kind of fair share. But that's not true because the app store itself is also pretty big. You have millions of apps on both iOS and Android. And so when someone looks for something, say, I want to check the weather forecast and I don't like the native app and I want to get some sort of an alert and I go into the app store, only a handful of apps are going to come up in my search when I search for weather forecast or weather alerts. The idea behind app store optimization is to figure out what is really Google and Apple using to take those search results and show them in helping them choose your app instead of a competitor. So we're talking about the search within Google Play or the App Store app in iOS specifically, correct? The App Store app specifically, or Google Play on Android, yeah. Yeah. When you said Google, I think it's good to distinguish between Google and SEO as opposed to App Store or Google Play and ASO or App Store optimization, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Google SEO is completely different. Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit. What are like the big differences between SEO and Google and doing like keyword research there as opposed to like ASO? You know, the funny thing is they're very similar in essence. And I come from an SEO background. I've been doing marketing for a long, long time. And before this, we had an SEO web development agency for about six years. And so we've done a lot of that SEO, trying to get your website up in search results on Google on the web. And for the most part, the research side is actually very similar. There's only one really major difference, and that is you can make a page on your website for any sort of keyword that you want. You can't do that on the App Store because you only have the one landing page. That's the App Store. And so on the App Store, you're very limited. The App Store and Google Play on Android, you're limited to just the few elements that Google and Apple provision for you to actually update. So the name, subtitle on iOS, the short description on Google Play, and a few other bits and pieces. But for the most part, that's really it. Whereas SEO, you can make as many pages as you'd like. And we used to make hundreds of pages in order for that to work. Let me see if I got this right. But like with SEO, you have the playground of the HTML on the web page to be able to do whatever you want. However, with like Google Play and specifically with the App Store, 
you are restricted by the settings that Apple provides to you within like App Store Connect, essentially. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, for the most part, that's the big difference. Now, there's an additional difference, and that is people go to the web to search for very specific things, whereas they go to the App Store to search for different things. So if you had an idea for dinner and you wanted to find a recipe, you would not go on the App Store and look for that recipe by name. You would go on Google and look for it. But if you needed an app to store all your recipes that you found online, you'd probably go on the app store and look for save a recipe tracker or something like that. So the intent behind the searches is a little bit different. And that's what's been throwing a lot of people off because they think they can take keywords from what they're used to on the web and transfer them over to ASO just blindly. And it doesn't work. So I'm trying to break this down a little bit more. For instance, people on Google are searching for like specific solutions to problems as opposed to when they search in the app store, they already have that context that it's specifically searching for apps. So it's only going to search for an app that provides certain functionality or features. Is that what you're trying to say? In a way, yeah. So if you think about the kind of searches you run on Google, you usually have a question and you use Google to answer it. But on the app store, you usually have a need and you need it answered with some sort of a service or a product or a tool. And so that's a very distinct difference, but it's also a very big difference. Okay, got it. Hey, I wanted to let you know that Empower App Show is looking for sponsors and patrons. Our audience is growing and we'd love to showcase you, your company, and your product on our show. If you want to be a patron, you can find us at patreon.com slash empowerapps.show. Or if you want to be a sponsor, reach out to me personally at leo at brightdigit.com. Your support is greatly appreciated and we look forward to showcasing your business and product on our show. So what would you say to someone who they're just like, well, why should I waste all this time on ASO when I could just take advantage of like being shown on like the today page or be shown in a specific category within the app store app? Well, here's the thing. The thing is to be shown on the today page, you have to get featured by Apple. And that's wonderful. I think for the most part, getting featured is really, really great. There's some challenges to getting featured on Google, but that's an advanced sort of foray into Google. But if you look at the App Store and the Today page, if you get featured, that's lovely. You get exposure to many millions and billions of people. But the problem is you don't get to control that. You can't have that whenever you want. So let's say you launched a new feature that you know is going to be great. You can't just go, hey, Apple, you should feature my app tomorrow because that's when my new feature is going live. Some companies can probably do something similar to that, but there's a very small number of those. So for the most part, you're probably not going to get that sort of feature whenever you want, if at all. It's also short term. It's there for a day. So if you want something that's sustainable, that gets you continually more and more downloads, you have to do something else and you have to get that sort of exposure all on your own. So should pretty much every company be implementing ASO? Like what if you're already a pretty recognized brand or what if you're like not specifically making money off the app store? Like just having an app is a part of your business, but not your primary business. I'm thinking of some of the enterprise companies that I've done contracts for. Why would they want to invest time and money in ASO when they're like pretty much going to be forced to be used by certain people or that's not their primary business? So I think for the most part, for most people who are not those specific enterprise, and I'll give you a couple of examples in a tiny bit, there's no really reason not to do ASO. Because if you're on the app store, you're probably looking for downloads. And unless you know your customer very well, maybe because you meet them one-on-one, or maybe because you spend a lot of money advertising outside of the app store, or maybe you have a really good website with SEO that just drives a lot of traffic, then you can say, okay, I'm going to forego this channel. Now, the crazy thing is ASO doesn't take a long time. It doesn't require any sort of investment. 
you're not paying per click, you're not paying per download, you're not paying per activation. Really, you're just paying for the research, and that's you're paying with your own time and possibly for a tool to give you all the insights you need. The tools are not that expensive. I know our pricing. And for the time and effort that you're putting in, you're going to see results if you do it right, of course. And so if you already have enough traffic and you feel like you don't want any more downloads, sure. But I think most of the developers and the marketers that I've met with always want to grow their user base. And so not doing that is just hurting that sort of growth. I think the one big flaw, and you know, this is with a lot of older businesses, is by not investing in like that ASO research and keywords and really investing the time into it, I think you are in the long term gonna hurt yourself because how do I put it? Old people don't use the app store search, so they might be less inclined to find that audience. But like, if you're going to target more younger folks, they're going to use their phone for your business. Like that's just the way things are going. So like, you're really, really giving yourself a big challenge by like not targeting that audience by having an app. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Apple says that most searches, I believe the number is more than 60% of downloads stem from an app store search on the App Store. And the App Store is the only way to get apps. So that means that six out of 10 people are going into the App Store looking for an app and download it as opposed to coming from a website or from a link or from something like that. So that's kind of incredible. We can like list off apps, but like young people use their phone to find stuff. And of course, if you're like going to find something on your iPhone, part of that search is going to be in the App Store. And if they're going to look for like an old established business, I'm not talking like exciting stuff, but like insurance, for instance, right? You know this, and I know this. There's a lot of startups that their whole business is going to be run through an app. Like if you're looking for insurance, there might be a whole like new technology business that all that you need is an app to sign up for insurance and it'll do everything for you. And like, they don't have a big box business. Like they do everything through like web chat, which is something that younger generations are like, I'd even include myself are a lot more familiar with. So like if you're an older established insurance institution, you could really be hurting yourself by not providing that solution through ASO. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think in general, you see now that a lot of those larger companies that maybe two or three years ago didn't have an app or had a very basic app, I heard maybe a bunch of web views kind of thrown together, are now moving towards native apps, apps that are on their own useful. Yeah. And so if they're going in that direction, they have to promote them somehow. Now, they have the money to spend on advertising, but the idea behind ASO is everything is organic. There you go. I like that, organic. Yeah, and you let it grow all on its own, and you're not paying per click, because the second you turn that off, you turn off all your new users, basically. Your app should be like a funnel to new customers. Like I think that's a big part of it, is they don't see that. They think it's just a tool for existing customers, but like... That app is a way to build that relationship. Absolutely. So what are some components to successful app store optimization? That is a very good question. And the reason I say this is because most people tend to think app store optimization is one thing, but it's really, it's, a, it's two or three that come together to give you all the bang for the buck. So when I look at app store optimization, I look at one, getting you visibility. So making sure that you're optimizing for the right keywords, and I'll explain what that means in a second, and making sure that you're getting the visibility from the right people. And then step number two is being able to take those people and convey to them that this is the app they're looking for really quickly because attention spans are really short these days, especially on the App Store. If you can get someone to look at your App Store page for more than three seconds, you're doing something amazing. And then going beyond that is the process of experimentation and testing and continuing to do that over and over because no one is right the first time. 
So making sure that you're monitoring your results, understanding what the results mean and trying different things. And that ties back into research. And component number one, I would say, is keyword research. And I split that into two parts. I'm actually publishing a guide about that next week. But the idea is that one, you collect all the keywords that are relevant to your app. So you think to yourself, what kind of keywords are people going to type into that search box to find the kind of features that my app offers? And in many cases, it's a little bit different than what you would think. And again, that's going back to we're so used to searching on Google and we're so used to asking a question, getting an answer. We're on the App Store. It's more asking for a solution to a problem. And so once you have an idea of what those keywords are, you can use a keyword tool like ours to get the data necessary to understand, is this keyword even being searched for on the App Store? And so if you see that it is being searched for and you see the competition around it is actually not as tough and you can make it in, then you can start thinking about how do you insert it, inject it into the app name, the keyword list, and the subtitle, which are those pieces that, going back to what we said a few minutes ago, Apple lets us customize. So I think like app figures is essentially one of its key components is providing that like research and data based on keywords, correct? That's correct. That's something new that we do now. Yeah. So what are some common mistakes with keyword research? Like one of the challenges that I could see is if your app is particularly niche, that could be a real challenge finding the right keywords. That's true. There are a few mistakes I would say around that. And the first one is more intuitive. And I would say to most of the listeners are probably have done this or tried to do this at one point is they try to optimize for a competitor name. And I see this happening again and again. And I think that's a really big mistake. You mean like they use a competitor name as a keyword? Exactly. Wow. Okay. It's frowned upon, I think, by Apple. I know a bunch of apps that get away with it. I know a bunch of apps that didn't get away with it. So from even a can you get approved with this perspective, it could be challenging. But from a marketing perspective, if you think about it, when you say, I want to show up in searches for my competitor's name, You'll always show up below your competitor, number one, because they have that name and it's a part of their brand. So the search engine algorithm is going to optimize them and put them above you. But the other thing you're saying is, I think that someone who's searching for my competitor doesn't like my competitor enough and they're always on the search for an alternative. And that's rarely true. And so that's a waste of a keyword and I would recommend not to do it. So you're saying like people think that, okay, we'll just toss these out because I'm not a big fan of these apps, but like. I use TikTok, okay? Okay. And uh, I don't like TikTok. They think that I'm going to search for, like, put in TikTok as a keyword and when I do my search, and somehow I'm going to end up with, like, Musical.ly, for instance. Is that what you're saying? Is they actually think that, like, they'll search terms of competitors to find alternatives to that competitor? Is that what you're trying to say? No, not at all. What I, what I think is that, say your friends told you about TikTok and you said, great, I'm going to go and download TikTok and you start typing in TikTok and then Musical.ly comes up as number three. When you're not going to get to number three because you're looking for TikTok. Right. Okay. Right. I agree with you. I think like... Until you're looking for TikTok, so you're not going to even try and look for an alternative. But folks think the opposite, that somehow they're going to download both you and the alternative. Exactly. That's really the case. Yeah. Okay. We're on the same page. So yeah, so that's the biggest mistake that I've seen. But going back to other mistakes around keywords is that, like I was saying before, the idea behind is there traffic to this keyword is not as intuitive on the App Store, even not to me. And I've been looking at this data for a very long time. And so sometimes I can take a keyword that I'm thinking would be great, put it into app figures and see that the data says no one is looking for it or a very small number of people are looking for it. 
which is kind of bad. So if I didn't look at it and I spent the time to optimize and I waited for Apple to index my keyword, all that would be met with nothing. And I see that is actually happening with a lot of apps and a lot of developers, especially the ones who are putting in a lot of time, but may not think to look beyond their intuition. So intuition is good to get started with, but you always have to validate all those ideas with real data. Okay, gotcha. So as far as when you actually have your keywords that you're going to actually use, what are other common mistakes when you build that list? So I think there aren't that many mistakes because it's a very creative process. The process of understanding what your users might be, your potential users, that is, might be looking for, might be typing in, is not the kind of thing that you can easily just automate. It's more about what are they thinking about? What kind of problems is my app even solving to begin with? And then you can use tools like ours to take and expand on that. So you can type in a keyword and find all the related keywords. And we use several algorithms that we built to find what competitors are using. So you can do that by hand as well. You can take a look at your direct competitors and see what kind of keywords do they use in their name? What kind of keywords do they use in their subtitle? And then what kind of keywords do they rank well for? And bring all of that data together. But again, going back to after you have that list, you have to make sure that you go one by one and you see the popularity of the keyword. That's the metric we use. And if it's not too high, continue either improving the list or continue going down the list until you find those five to 10 keywords that are very popular. What if your competitor sucks? <laughs> and what I mean is there's an app that kind of does the same functionality as your app, but it, it doesn't sell very well. Don't copy them. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Is like they're not even worth your time like necessarily looking at or using as a template for your keywords. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And again, with that trick is when you go in and you start looking for keywords, you might see your competitor come up in those search results. And if they have a decent amount of downloads, we'll show you an estimate of how many downloads they have. Okay. And so you can get an idea of whether this is something I even want to aim for. Okay, okay. Like when you say something you want to aim for, you mean like, is this app even worthy of your time and money or it's not even worth looking at this competitor as a competitor necessarily? It's always worth to make sure you know your competitors, but it's not worth trying to learn from what they're doing because they're not necessarily doing the best work. Okay. And you could probably be doing a better job at it. And then they would copy you. Got you. So we talked about keyword. Explain a little bit like there's keyword lists, but there's other settings or properties you need to set when you set up your app in the App Store, correct? Absolutely. So let's talk about the three areas that Apple specifically allows you to update and what we would use for keyword optimization. And that is the keyword list in App Store Connect. And that's something no one else can see. So that's between you and Apple. And then you have the app's name, which the entire world will see, and the subtitle. And they work slightly bit differently, but they all work together, which is the interesting bit. So it all starts with your keyword list. And there are ways to optimize the keyword list because it's not just a list of those search terms that people would put into the App Store. It's actually very, very different. We have a guide on this that goes into a good amount of detail on how the algorithm works and how the algorithm reads what's in that keyword list. And so you can optimize it because, and the reason we need to optimize it because it's limited to 100 characters. Not 100 words, 100 characters. Okay, wow. And so it's very, very limited, especially if you have an app that has more than one feature. And so we have to get crafty with really understanding how all of this comes together and then taking advantage of this knowledge. And being a developer, I think, gives us an advantage because we understand how algorithms work. We understand how full text searches work. We understand how indices work. So going a little bit beyond what is just common knowledge, we understand the, technology, the underlying technology, and that's really helpful. 
So when you put in keywords, one of the challenges I face, like with when it comes to like SEO is like, I'll put in, for instance, a whole phrase as a keyword for a particular article. Is it the same thing essentially when you set up uh, your app in the app store? It shouldn't be. And so let's go through my process of optimizing for keywords. And then I'll show you how we can split between the keyword list, the name and the subtitle. So the really quick way of going through this is once I have that list of keywords that we talked about a few minutes ago, and I looked at the keyword scores and I know which keywords are good for the app and I want to optimize for, which usually tends to be about five to 10 keywords at the end is I take them and I break them apart. So I'm going to use some of those in the keyword list, some of those in the name and some of those in the title. Now, the name and the subtitle, the way Apple sees them is imagine one long sentence. We see it as two sentences on the App Store, but Apple and the algorithm sees the one big sentence. Sees the name and the subtitle as one continuous sentence. Exactly. Okay. And that's why we recommend not to have any sort of duplication of keywords in the name and the subtitle. So say you're optimizing a weather app and you want to optimize for the keyword weather forecast, you don't have to repeat weather or forecast in the name and the subtitle. You can just use it once either in the name or the subtitle. And that saves you a lot of space and allows you to optimize for more things. Like we were saying before, alerts and other things. Now. The keyword list is not joined together with the name and the subtitle. And so you would have to use both weather and forecast in your keyword list. But what I recommend doing is taking them and splitting them. So instead of entering weather forecast as one keyword in your keyword list, I would enter weather and forecast. And the reason behind this is because the way the algorithm works is it looks at all the words specifically and combines them together to make two and three word combinations. So say I want to optimize for weather alerts and weather forecast. I don't have to type weather alerts comma weather forecast into the keyword list because if I enter weather forecast and alerts separated by a comma, the algorithm would actually inflate that to be all those different search terms. So it'd give me weather forecast and weather alerts. And that's a really nifty trick that if you take advantage of now, we cut a lot of words because we don't have to duplicate weather. So basically, you don't need to put full phrases in and you don't need to like duplicate particular words because the algorithm will automatically take those into account. That's what it sounds like to me, correct? Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. And then with the name, it's very, very similar. The challenge with the name is you can't just enter keywords. It has to sound like a real name. And so whatever your app's name is could be app name dash weather forecasts. And then in the subtitle, you can include additional words like alerts. And because they read as a single line, it would be weather forecasts alerts. And like we're saying before, with how the algorithm uses all the words and combines them together, it again would be weather forecasts and weather alerts. And then when you actually have the keyword list, would you include weather, comma, alerts, comma, forecasting? Yes. Would you do forecasting or would you do forecast? Or how about like particular forms of a word, so to speak? So the algorithm is kind of smart, but not smart enough to combine forecast and forecasting. It would combine between forecast and forecasts. So plural and singular, you don't have to do the plural. You can just go singular and it will do both. But when it comes to something like track and tracker, I would enter both. Or forecast and forecasting, I would enter both. Okay. That's a really good point. I didn't thought of like singular and plural as being different from the tense of a word and things like that. That gets to another question I wanted to ask. We might get into this when we talk a little bit more about monitoring, but like how do you deal with like algorithm changes? What if all of a sudden they decide we'll automatically add the ED for past tense or for participles, whatever. Whereas before, you know, you didn't need to, like, how do you deal with those algorithm changes? I know like even in the SEO world, 
people sometimes, especially SEO-like folks, just want to pull out their hair every time Google changes stuff. I can imagine it'll be just as daunting when it comes to like dealing with changes when it comes from Apple and the App Store. It kind of is. It absolutely kind of is. There's no easy way to do that. And I think monitoring is just such a crucial component of your ASO process, both because when you're introducing these new keywords, you're not 100% sure. There's no guarantee that they're going to give you the sort of outcome you're expecting. So even when you look through the data and even when you make sure that there is enough uh, popularity for these keywords and you understand the competition and what sort of performance you need to have, the one challenge is still seeing how Apple does what Apple does. That magic, black box magic that happens on the App Store is not something you can forecast. All we can do is make sure that we bring ourselves as close to possible, but then monitoring really gives you that sort of feedback loop. So it's the same for algorithm changes. So what I like to look at all the time is all the primary keywords that I'm after, I will monitor and keep an eye on. And what we do is we actually look at data on an hourly level, not a daily level. And that shows you how it ebbs and flows throughout the day. But also if something happens, it shows you immediately. I'll give you an example. Before iOS 13 came out just last month, there was a day where for four hours the ranks flipped and all the apps that were popular became unpopular and all the apps that were unpopular became popular all of a sudden. And because we have this sort of hourly tracking, we were able to see almost immediately and correlate it with an update, an underlying update to the App Store. And after four hours, it completely disappeared. Everything went back to normal. (laughs) Some developer on iTunes Connect did something and they're like, no, 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 roll it back. That's what it sounds like to me. (laughs) Or they were maybe experimenting with something new, maybe an algorithm change that they didn't think would break things in such a way, but it actually did. But if it was maybe a smaller impact, they would have kept it. Yeah. So it's hard to really tell. But the idea behind this is that every time something happens, you can react to it. So we have no control over the algorithm. Any developer, most developers don't have any control over the algorithm. And it's not even the kind of thing that you can call Apple support and say, hey, something happened. Can you fix it? The answer is not going to be no. It's going to be like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, right. Totally. I mean, I've been running beta software. I was running beta software. Finally, I'm on everything's on release versions now, which is not exactly perfect. But I've been, you know, over the summer I was running beta stuff and it's like, yeah, all of a sudden some beta will break and I won't be able to record an episode of this show because (laughs) uh, all the multimedia software doesn't work. And it's like, ah, like, so I can imagine, yeah, I bet there's times when iTunes Connect does some weird stuff or the App Store app does some weird stuff with search. But what are some examples, you've been doing this for a while, what are some examples you've seen where like the algorithm has changed significantly and people needed to change their strategy? As recently as I would say the last two weeks, the algorithm changed to look at special characters differently. And so for the longest time, probably since the dawn of the App Store, if you were using special characters, ASCII characters in your app name, it would make it easier for you to flow through the top. It was kind of a bug slash hack that existed. And many apps took advantage of it and rose to the top and have been seeing a good amount of downloads because of ASL. That changed a few weeks ago. I want to say a couple of weeks ago. And so now all those apps are not just getting pushed down slowly. They just were eliminated because of this, because they didn't do anything else to support their ASL effort. So they did this one trick and it worked really well. And now they have nothing almost overnight. So they had special characters within their app name or keyword list. Is that what you're saying? Within the app name, yeah. And you can see it. If you go on the app store, you, um, I don't know if you remember, you would used to see the name and then maybe a small circle at the top or a small dot at the top, those ASCII characters that no one really knows. Mm-hmm. How were they hacking the system with that? It was just a bug with the algorithm itself. The algorithm, when it saw those characters, it just floated those apps to the top of the keywords. Gotcha. I don't know why specifically, but that's how it worked. Okay. But we're not talking like 
emojis or like an internationalization thing. We're just talking like some bug in search would make these weird, exactly strange ASCII characters that nobody uses and make it float to the top. That's really strange. What are some other examples? Now the ampersand is actually becoming one of those potentially special characters. And we're seeing keywords that have an app in them also getting pushed down. We recently looked at an app that is ranking extremely well in all countries and extremely well on Android, but in iOS in the US, all the ranks have dropped, completely disappeared. And they were so curious to understand why that is. And that's the thing with algorithm changes. No one tells you, which is funny because at least Google for the web at this point has a blog that talks to web developers and they have advocates who talk to web developers. So you at least know when something is coming. On the app store, that doesn't exist. So everything we know comes from monitoring. The stuff that you've mentioned seemed like they were bugs that have been resolved too. So it's almost like an embarrassment for Apple to admit, In a way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've been hacking our system. But they keep changing the way that the algorithm itself works. So another example is this is about four or five months ago. They changed the way the keywords in the subtitle are merged into the name. So remember how we were saying that they used both as one long continuous sentence. They actually dropped the last word of that continuous sentence. Why just one word? I'm not sure. How many characters? That is so weird. I'm not exactly sure. So maybe they introduced a new bug in the process. But it did cause some app developers to lose a lot of downloads and revenue because of this, almost overnight. Talking about this stuff makes me feel better as a developer because I'm like, I'll download a new version of a piece of Apple software and all of a sudden it won't work. And <laughs> now it's like, okay, ASO guys have the same issues because like, oh yeah, especially with something that's such a black box, it's like, it's good that you guys do the work that you do because otherwise we wouldn't know about a lot of this stuff. So with all these changes to how search is working, we've been talking a lot about search, 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 but like at the end of the day, it's really downloads that matter, correct? So what are some ways to actually get people to find you and then actually download you? That's the second part. So in that the first part with keywords, you're really making sure that when someone searches for what they want, you show up or you show up as an option. If you think about it, because there's so many other options out there, but you show up first, they're going to tap on you first. But then once they're on the page, there are things you need to do in order to make them get from, oh, this might be what I need to, yep, this is what I need, hit the get button. And for the most part, that revolves around your screenshots and your visuals because one, they take up the most real estate on the page and two, we're all kind of visual animals in a way. And so it's easier to look at a screenshot than it is to read a paragraph of description text. I know video is big right now as far as like getting people to actually download your app. What are some other tips that you have as far as like screenshots and videos and things like that? I think videos are great, but the screenshots are really what does it. In order for a user to go in and actually watch a video, even though they ought to play now, you still need to get some sort of engagement. So they need to be willing to invest a few more seconds in the app. And remember back to the beginning of the episode, we're talking about attention spans becoming shorter and shorter. A video is about 30 seconds. That's not very short. And so with screenshots, you can capture attention almost instantly. And then you can use that one, to show the value of your app, and two, to get that conversion. And that's why even some of the biggest companies like Uber and Google spend a lot of money and a lot of time optimizing their screenshots and finding the right colors to use, the right text to put on them, the right place to put text on them. So my kind of rule of thumb for screenshots, my my best practices would be, one, don't only have a screenshot. Wrap it in something use some sort of a eye-catching background. Maybe it's a color that contrasts with your app, something like that. And then use keywords and use phrases on top of that screenshot. 
So tell me what I'm looking at as a user. Tell me why I should be looking at the screenshot and tell me what it's going to give me ultimately and do that for all your highlights, all the most important things about your app, all the things you want to show off with. One thing I liked in your presentation was the example you had of screenshots, how it almost looked like I forgot who it was, if it was Uber or Lyft, but... I believe it was Uber, Jump by Uber. It looked like one continuous screenshot. It was one picture cut up into four screenshots, each like rounded rectangles, so that it looked continuous. And I like that because it showed not just like the screenshot, but the screenshot within the context of the app and how cool that visual was. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is probably one of the best looking screenshots that I've seen for that type of app. because. Some apps can really show off with their features inside the app, and you would want to see them as a user. You, you would care a lot about, do they have this button, or how do they show this chart? But for an app like Uber Jump, is, the app is to rent scooters, I believe. So how, okay. how cool can an app like that be? You know, it's not going to be that exciting to look at the UI for click here to pay us money, or click here to see the message that says you're late, and now we're going to charge you a fee. But instead, what they did is they used the screenshot to show how a user would benefit from having the app. And I don't remember what the screenshot, I don't have it in, in my mind right now. What I remember vaguely is that it shows people using the scooters, but also the app from the bottom with a map and with how easy it would be to use. So all that together gave me as a user the feeling that I want to download this app. Yeah. And I think that's very challenging for an app like that. We talked about Fastlane in the previous episode. I really love Fastlane. But like one of the problems I could see with an app like that, this is with any app that automates anything, is like you can automate those screenshots in such a way to where there's like a lack of character to them. Exactly. That's what I loved about that was like, because uh, Fastlane's amazing because you can like automate screenshots. But part of that problem is like you lose a lot of that flair and customization that comes with like artistically creating these screenshots in such a way. And like, yeah. don't get me wrong, like it's a pain in the butt to create screenshots for every phone from an SE all the way to an iPad Pro, totally. But like at the same time, what's even more important than making sure that every screenshot looks customized for every device, it's I think more important just get people to download your app in the first place. That's absolutely true. And there are templates that I believe can be used. So you can automate the generation of screenshots and then you can automate putting that screenshot into another template. And that's when you do where you do the customization. Right, exactly. That would have a caption in it and the colored background and just, you know, the right shadows and, and everything to capture your attention and really show you what the app can give you. And then going back to your discussion on videos, where it's like screenshots are even more important is uh I can't think of the term. Like I post videos on YouTube all the time, but the image that you see when you... The poster image. Thank you. Poster image like is super important as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point, especially for devices that are in low battery mode or it's called something else. But when you do that, the videos don't autoplay. And so you have the opportunity to have another screenshot that could be selling for you unless you don't take advantage of that. And then you have just a random frame of your video, which may work, but may not. Right. What are some other things you wanted to talk about as far as visuals are concerned? I think for the most part, that's it. There are so many other things that can go into visuals, especially when it comes to A-B testing. We host a meetup and one of our guests does this for a living. He does A-B testing of screenshots for a living and he gave us so many interesting ideas. And so you can think of everything from the tone of every screenshot and you can test that. So you can test a statement that is funny or a statement that is witty or a statement that is clever and see how many people click when you have, you know, different tones. So when he's A-B testing, we're talking about like, he goes into App Store Connected, manually changes the image. 
for a specific period of time and then sees how that changes the numbers? Is that what we're talking about specifically? Yes, that's one way to do it. There are other ways to do it outside of the App Store that are a little bit faster because you don't want to wait necessarily the amount of weeks that it takes to do that sort of A-B test. On Google Play, you can actually A-B test for real through Google Play. So you can upload two versions. Oh, man. One day, maybe Apple will listen. <laughs> you think. What are some other ways you can do it when it comes to like the Apple ecosystem? Because that's the only way I could think of is just actually going in and doing it. So the do and wait is a great way to do it. It doesn't cost any money and you can do it right now as long as, again, you monitor. So you make sure that you look at the number of impressions your app is getting, the number of downloads your app is getting. And that's what you should do also when you change your keywords. And I like to look at them in two-week increments. So I make a change, I let it happen for two weeks. On the Apple side of things, that's enough for the algorithm to adapt to those new keywords, for enough users to come in and look at the new screenshots and see if anything changes. So if your impression to download ratio, which is the conversion rate, if that changes, you know you did something right. If the number of impressions goes up, then you know your keywords are working. Now, if anything is going in the opposite direction, you know you need to change that too. So two weeks is just a good enough amount of time to do that. But let's say you didn't want to wait two weeks and you wanted to just run an experiment. There is a way to basically emulate the App Store page and build it as a website and then drive traffic to it with paid ads and see how those users interact with it. Because once you have a website, you have control over which variation you're seeing. There are multiple companies that will do that for you. They're a little bit more expensive, so not really the indie approach. The indie approach would be try it for two weeks and see what it does, or try it on Android and see what happens if you have an Android app as well. Mm. So basically, what they do is they create a web page, or anybody could honestly create a web page that kind of looks like an App Store page, and then use that to A-B test. And then when you have whatever action or changes you want to do based on that research, you then publish that to the App Store. Does that sound correct? Yep, that's exactly it. A few challenges with that, and the first is that's going to be expensive because no one knows about this particular page that you made, especially not when you have an A version and a B version. So you would want to drive traffic. You want to get people to see that page. And the easiest way to do that is using paid ads. So you'd get a Google ad, throw in some keywords for the features, but that's expensive. Okay. And the other challenge is those users, eventually they're not going to download. Most likely they will not download the app because once they see the page, there's no way to download an app not through the App Store. So you would still have to open the App Store page where the screenshots are going to be different and the name is going to be potentially different. And they're going to get really confused and about 60 to 80% of those people eventually leave without a download. Okay. So you're just spending for the sake of experiments, which for a company like Google or Uber or any of those big companies makes a lot of sense. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I wanted to get a little bit more into like ASO uh, and like that process and where it fits within the development of an app. How should a company integrate like app store optimization when they're like, okay, we're going to build this app. Like at what point and what kind of team do you need in order to get that going so that when you do actually publish the app, you have all the assets, all the keywords, and everything ready. I would say from the beginning, from day one, you had an idea, first use market tools to validate it. So you can go back and see similar apps and see how their performance is. And let's say you see that the market for it is 100 downloads a month, that may change your decision. And so that's step number one. And ASO is not really known for being that sort of process to be a part of that process. But if you think of ASO as more optimizing for success on the App Store, right, going beyond just getting more impressions or getting more downloads, it's making sure that you have and you give your app the tools that it needs and the setup that it needs 
to get you the downloads and the revenue you want to make. And so that's step number one. And step number two is go beyond that and see if you believe you have a market, see the kind of keywords people are actually searching for, because that shows you the intent of what they're looking for as far as features. And so you can use that to understand what sort of features the app must have, even beyond the features you know you want to have because you're probably trying to solve a problem. And then once you know all these things, you can build around them. And that would make the job of finding keywords later a lot easier because you've already done that research earlier on and you built everything around it. And so you know you're building an app that has the features everyone is looking for. You know that the market is large enough and you know who the competition is. And all of that together gives you a really good starting point when developing. And then after you develop, you will need to go into App Store Connect and enter that keyword list, which you would have from the research. Same thing you can do with the name and same thing you can do with the subtitle. And that will put you in a really good position for success almost immediately. Now, if you get featured on launch day or if you get any sort of publicity outside of the App Store because the app is new, that plus the ASO factor is really going to help you rise and with that, the number of downloads you get. So I would say from the beginning all the way to the end. Cool. Thank you so much, Ariel, for coming on the show. It was really great. Before we go, I wanted to run by a scenario for you that's particularly niche. This is a challenge because honestly, there might not be a market for this app, but it's a little bit of a technical experiment that I wanted to try and see if there is an audience for it. You're familiar with live streaming, correct? Yeah, okay. I'm into it. So I've seen a few people who, when they live stream, they like to show their heart rate on Twitch or YouTube or Mixer or whatever. And so I thought to myself, why don't I create an Apple Watch app where you can broadcast your heart rate to your live stream? So I got this app. It's uh, called Heart Twitch. Or as some people read it, Heart Witch, which I'm hoping to like really, really take advantage of Halloween, which is in a few days. But it's a simple app. You just log into the website. It gives you a code. You put the code in your Apple Watch app, and then it will post your heart rate to the web browser. And then whatever streaming application or video recording you're doing, you just you know share that browser window. And now you can post it somewhere in your video. That's pretty cool. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. So first thing I wanted to ask is this is uh, using some new technology, like the backend, uh, there's like, it's backend Swift. It's built with Swift UI, which I don't think really the app store really creates about those kind of developer features necessarily. Not yet. But it is an independent watch app. So first thing off the bat, I'm restricted purposely doing this using a new technology, right? But it's an independent watch app. So you need to like get the app through the app store only on the watch. Let's get into like, what are your thoughts about the Apple Watch App Store? Is there something I need to do special for that? Or is there something I need to do that's different? What's been your perspective on that? Wow, I think it's a wonderful idea. But as you were saying, it's very, very, very focused, hyper-focused. Hyper-focused. You can use that term hyper-focused. I like that. It solves such a very focused problem. But at the same time, it is a challenge for people who don't have that sort of app. So if I wanted to broadcast my heart rate right now, I couldn't. Yes, there is some competition out there, but I wasn't very impressed with it. And if you look up the one app that does the same thing, the reviews aren't particularly great. So I probably wouldn't use it because especially as someone who's live streaming, who's broadcasting, I don't want to deal with stuff that's kind of broken. Yes. And so I like the idea. I don't know if you can, you're going to break the bank with this. No. But to get it in the hands of more people, I think it goes be a little bit beyond ASO. And, and what I would do is use those people who are trying to broadcast their heart rate and reach out to them directly and then make sure that the broadcast itself, that browser window has some sort of a branding on it. Yeah. So yeah. people who are seeing this will see this again, create this loop. I think being limited to 
the watch app store is probably a pro and a con at this point specifically. My thought was, will Apple feature, oh, hey, look, there's an independent watch app. Because to me, I remember after WWC, it's like if you're going to do any feature, it's dark mode because that's what people actually see in Apple wants to promote. Like I would think like independent watch app is more along those lines of being a feature that Apple would want to promote as opposed to like Swift UI, which nobody like your grandma isn't going to know that an app was yeah. built, nor does she care that an app was built with Swift UI, right? Yeah, absolutely. But you have two things going for you here. One, yes, an independent watch app. And two, the whole watch app store, the new one is going to be very new. And so Apple would need things to fill it up with. I think the challenge is going to be Actually downloading from the watch to me sounds very cumbersome and I need to see it in action before I can actually make that sort of, you know, overall statement. But the other side of this is going to be small enough that even if I don't look hard enough, I'll probably stumble on your app just because of the number of independent apps. And that's going to be very small. And that's mm. a good thing for you. Okay. As far as getting featured, I would say definitely aim for it, but ask Apple to do it. Don't wait for them to do it for you. Okay. Well, I'll send you a link to the website. It's just hardtwitch.app. And if you sign up, I can send you a test flight invite. Oh, cool. And speaking of which, like even with test flight, I've had some feedback that like installing it through test flight is a pain in the butt and it still feels awkward. And I don't know if there's also bugs with test flight as well, but maybe I'll ask like the app is not in the app store yet. Obviously it's still test flight. What are some ways to get more folks interested in your app pre-launch? But still, is there a stuff that you can do within the app store for that? There isn't. But what I would do for that is I would go to the community and try to get people who are interested in this. Because when you want feedback from beta testers, you don't just want users. You want someone who's really invested, really cares about it, someone who would tear it apart and tell you everything that they want to see in it. Even if you're not going to build it you know, for V1, you at least know what you should be building because that's some of the user requests. Reddit is a good place for that. Forums are a good place for that. Stack Overflow, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. Like one of the problems I see is when people build something, they don't reach out to the community. My plan is to reach out, obviously, to like the actual live streaming community as opposed to like my friends and my social circle or even like developers who don't necessarily do this kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And you are on Twitter. Any other social media outlets you want to share your info about? I'm mostly on Twitter. Ariel Michael with an I at the end. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll be providing links to some of your guides as well as to your presentation from 360 iDev. If people want to get a hold of me, they can reach out to me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion and my company's at Bright Digit. I would love to hear any feedback from you, any questions that you might have as far as promoting your app or getting your app shown and being able to find it on the App Store. Hit me up. Or if you have any tips or any feedback that you have, uh, I'd love to hear back from you. Just reach out to me on Twitter. Again, Leo G. Dion. Ariel, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Leo.